Thank you, Tim, for leading us in that. It was a great song to think through those words and just think about what God has accomplished for us as a merciful God. Let's just take a moment and bow in a word of prayer as we begin our time. Father, we do thank you again for being here tonight. We thank you that we can open your word together. We thank you that we can contemplate on these truths that you give us and how we can reflect on your character and nature and your mercy and grace and all that you've accomplished for us. Lord, settle our hearts, settle our minds, cause us to be mindful of what your word says, that it might become part of our very life. We praise you for it. Ask your blessing on it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn in them to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We, over the last time that we were together and then the times before that, we were focusing our attention on a very practical section, not as if all of Galatians isn't practical in itself, but really the Apostle Paul hones in on the very practical aspects to the believers in Galatia about what it means to be a Christian. What is happening to them is, unfortunately, the very issue that takes place in the hearts of many Christians even today. What is that? It's the reality by which either purposefully or unwittingly we begin to think of our sanctification and we place that over and above our justification. Some of you may be saying, what in the world does that mean? What does all that mean for my life? Well, by now, from our study of Galatians, we have a better understanding, I would hope, of at least what justification is. Justification is that theological term. Paul doesn't mention the word in Galatians, but that's what he's talking about theologically. That justification, that term that describes how a guilty sinner before a holy God is able to stand before that holy God uncondemned. That's the idea of justification. That's the essence of the gospel as Paul states it even back in chapter 1 and verse 6. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. That in a nutshell is the gospel, the calling by God of the heart of a sinful man by grace into Christ Jesus. And when we hear the gospel, it confronts us about our sinfulness. It, it informs us that we are guilty before God because of our sin and that we we cannot stand uh, and relieve ourselves from that guilt or its penalty on our own efforts. And therefore, when we believe what the gospel declares about us, and when we understand that in our hopeless state before a holy God, the gospel tells us that the only remedy for that problem is faith in Jesus Christ. And the Scriptures declare that if a person will confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord 
and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, he will be saved. Why? Because through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on our behalf, or on the sinner's behalf, the wrath of God was that was against them is now satisfied in Christ. It has been mediated by the sacrifice of Christ through the grace of God so that God can now declare them innocent before Him. They are justified in Christ. Not by any works which they have done, but through the death of Jesus Christ alone. But what often happens with us or with the one who professes faith in Christ, those who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ, what happens often is that we begin to realize that life as a Christian is hard. Being a Christian within a world that's lost and a world that hates Jesus Christ is a difficult thing to live. That walking in obedience to Christ is a hard thing to do. It's a war every day. And so what happens is we as Christians oftentimes begin to believe that it is our obedience that actually brings some satisfaction before God. That by way of our obedience, God in some way loves us more than He does. It's really our thinking and saying that our obedience to the things of God or what God commands is what really justifies us. And if I could just do better at that, if I could just carry out certain activities within my religious life, then I would be right before God. So what happens is that the process of sanctification, sanctification meaning being made holy, the process by which God makes us holy in practice, And that is a process that happens throughout our lives. That process in conforming us to the image of Christ, His making us holy in practice over time, being sanctified, that process begins to be seen by us as the means for which we are justified. And so Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 1, verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. I'm so quickly amazed that you you would turn what you cannot do on yourself and the very things that you are called to do by God by way of obedience to God because you're justified. I'm so I'm so amazed that you would take what you are justified before God and flip it on its head and make your process of obedience and sanctification, that which justifies you. You have flip-flopped justification and sanctification in such a way that you actually desert the one who called you by Christ. I don't think Paul for a moment in chapter 1 and verse 6 is saying to, to every categorically, every believer in Galatia, hey, you're not saved. I don't think he's saying that at all. What he is saying is that to act as if sanctification, obedience to the things of God, that those things are what justifies us before God is to move us away from the very thing that does justify, which is Jesus Christ alone. Moves us away in our own mind and in our own heart. And so therefore, by way of our actions, it's as if we are just 
walking away from Christ. We have, as he said before, nullified Christ. We are living as if we aren't truly saved by what Christ did. We are living in thinking that we save ourselves. So this is what the Apostle Paul has been dealing with throughout this letter. And last time we were here, we were focusing our attention on chapter 5 and verses 6 through 12. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 12, whereby we have to focus in order to combat that that temptation from the flesh to satisfy its own, or by its own efforts, convince us that we are doing what would bring about justification. In order to combat that, we, we have to focus on what matters most, and what matters most is Jesus Christ. What matters most is what Jesus Christ has done. What matters most is who Jesus Christ is. Why? Because when we focus on Jesus Christ and what He has done for us, we quickly squash the idea that we can earn our own salvation. When we focus upon Jesus Christ and all that He has done, then we know that anything we do is worthless when it comes to justification. And so we've come to to these last two chapters in Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we have to realize that justifying faith by the power of the Spirit produces sanctification. It produces in the life of the one who is a Christian a walk of obedience and not obedience in order to gain some kind of justification. Remember what Paul said in chapter or 5 and verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke or to a yoke of slavery. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. That is fact. That is not suggestion. That is not hyperbole. That is reality in the spiritual realm. We have been set free. That is a settled reality in the spiritual side of life before a holy God. Justification through faith in Jesus Christ. We who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, we who are Christians have been set free in order that we might live in that freedom. Freedom from what? What are we bet set free from? Freedom from the ongoing slavery of attempts to gain a righteous standing before God on our own efforts. That is a slave master. The works righteousness reality is a slave master. By Christ, we are set free from that. We are completely free from any kind of idea, any kind of activity in order to gain righteousness. But with that, we must also understand that we are not free in that position of freedom to live in any way that we, ought, that we want to live. 
We are free from the slavery of attempting and and trying to gain a righteousness by our own efforts, but we are not free from the reality and the and the the understanding uh, to live out the very things that God has asked us to do. We cannot. We are not free to live any way we want. So we have to remember both sides of this. This is what. This is what freedom is. It was for freedom that we are set free, but most importantly, who did it? It wasn't us, it was Christ who did it. Right? That's what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Christ set us free. He's the one who released us from that personal effort and bondage to the law at justifying ourselves. But He also set us free to the keeping of the law for sanctification. We are free from the law for justification, but we are not free from the law for sanctification. And this is what we see happening here in the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6. And so tonight, I I want us to just begin to look at the rest of chapter 5 and and begin to unfold five truths here in in the end of chapter 5, five truths about the Christian life that will help us obey for sanctification and not for justification. These are five truths that will help us obey for sanctification and not for justification. Or, as I've entitled our message tonight, living out what matters most. Before, we had to know what matters most. That is Jesus Christ. Now we are living out what matters most. The first truth is this. The first truth is this. Be mindful of our calling. Be mindful of our calling. Notice what he says in verse 13. For you were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. Paul says, listen, your freedom in Christ is the foundation for your own life and your life together as Christians. Your freedom is the foundation for your living in the Christian life, and it is the foundation for how you interact with those within the Christian life. In other words, that means that no relationship that we have within Christendom, and no relationship that we have really even in the world, no relationship that we have in this life will flourish or will be operating as it should be operating unless we realize that we are free in Christ. We love that term, freedom. We love it, especially here in the Northeast, especially here in this very state. We who live in the Western governmental countries of the world, we hear that term freedom and we immediately begin to think of what it is we get to do. We have freedom. That means we get to do certain things. We live in a free country. 
And that freedom begins with privileges. It begins with abilities to interact with others within that free country. We have the ability and freedom to interact with others. And therefore, even on a secular level, freedom is relational. Freedom is relational. In other words, you are free to do things. But even within that freedom, there are boundaries that hinder your ability of the things that you get freedom to do. You're not autonomously free to do whatever you want to do, even though you are free. This is the same principle within Scripture. The Bible carries that same reality. Freedom in Christ is relational, and yet it is not autonomous. When it comes to our salvation, we are free insofar as we are related to God and His wrath. We are free because God has justified us. He set us free from trying to earn His pleasure and be with Him. Through Jesus Christ, we have been freed from the wrath of God on us because of our sin. If that were not the case, that would ensure that we would not be free in Christ. We would still be in moral and spiritual bondage. We would still be enslaved to our sin and therefore slaves to God in the way in which we would be under His righteous judgment. It wouldn't be It wouldn't matter where we lived in the world. It wouldn't matter if you lived in the United States of America where we are free or some other free country or whether you lived in a country like North Korea where no one is free. If Christ had not set you free, you are not free. It doesn't matter where you live. Our world can talk of freedom all it wants, And even here in the West, we champion freedom. We may say that we are a free country in comparison to other countries, but the reality is that everyone who lives here who does not know Jesus Christ is under the rulership and powers of someone stronger than they are. And even here in the free country, we are under the powers of someone who are physically and politically stronger than we are. And yet here, the Apostle Paul says that when we know Jesus Christ by faith, when God calls us to Himself through Jesus Christ, He sets us free. Sets us free from the enslavement of ourselves to the bondage of our own justifying efforts. We were called, he says, to freedom. In other words, apart from the effectual call of God upon our life to come to Him and to embrace Jesus Christ by faith, we would still be in slavery to sin. We would still be in slavery to self. In fact, he says in the second part of this this verse, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. When he says flesh, that just put a big equal sign there and write self right next to it. That's what it is. Yourself, your natural self. Without Christ, we are slaves to self. Slaves to who we are. Slaves to the dynamic of our life. Slaves to how we want to run things. But in Christ, we are freed from slavery to self. 
Flesh is that fallen self. It's sarks in the original language. That's the original word, sarks. It's that slave to self. It's, it's who you are before Christ. It's not the, not the epidermis around all your bones. That's what we call flesh in a medical term, but that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about ourself, who we are in our dead self flesh before Christ. Don't give your freedom an opportunity for the flesh. Without Christ, we are slaves to self, but in Christ, we are freed from self. Freed from the old self. Freed from the dead man. In fact, you'll see in verse 19, he says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. What's he talking about? The deeds of the flesh, the deeds of self-serving, the deeds of pleasing yourself all the time, the deeds of living for you, they're evident, and their immorality, impurity, sensuality, and the list goes on and on down the spiral. So while we are free from the ruling of the flesh through faith in Jesus Christ, the reality is prior to us ever going to glory, we are still here and the flesh is still here. The dead stench of the old man is still here. And it wouldn't be nearly as dangerous to us if it just kept to itself. If it did what it wants you to do, it wants you to serve self. If it just kept to itself, it wouldn't be so deadly, but that's not what the flesh does. The flesh, your old self, is continually desiring to bring you down with it. It wants all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, it wants all of us to do what it loves, to do what it desires. But we have been called to freedom, Paul said. We've been called to freedom. So what God has accomplished through Christ on our behalf has been done and has ongoing results in our lives. Therefore, therefore, Paul says, because that has happened, because you are free in Christ, don't Give in. Don't let your freedom be used as an opportunity for the flesh. Now that tells us something about us, doesn't it? That's a very revealing reality about our very character. It tells us that if we are not careful, if we are not careful in our Christian life, if we are not careful to remember what matters most, if we are not careful to remember what God has called us to, and that is freedom for justification, we are free from self-service in order to try to be justified. God has justified us. If we're not careful to keep that in its rightful place, then we can and will use our freedom as a means for personal gratification. We will use our flesh, use our desires. We will convince ourselves easily that while I am justified with God, that is a great thing and therefore I can live however I want. What is Paul saying? He's simply saying that while the flesh is overcome in Christ, while that slavery to self is overcome in Christ, it is not gone. And so here's the challenge that Paul wants us to realize. Here's the challenge that Paul wants the Galatian believers to realize. We still live in the realm of sinfulness. We still possess fallen bodies. We're still dragging around with us the old self. 
We are still here in this fallen world. This is still the present evil age, as he said back in chapter 1, verse 4. And therefore, the flesh is constantly looking for the opportunity to get back in action. And so while we have been set free from the keeping of the law for justification, we cannot allow our dead self to convince us that we are free from the law in our sanctification. We are not. It cannot convince us that living fleshly is okay after being justified. This is what often happens with many Christians who have claimed to believe, and then they, after they believe, they go on living as if sin doesn't really matter anymore. They often believe that just simply being justified in Christ is fine. They understand that they are free from any attempts to earn salvation on their own. They understand that salvation is only secured through faith in Jesus Christ. They can even articulate that reality at times from their own life. And since though that is the case, they say, then because I am justified and I understand that I am justified in Christ alone, then in Reality, sin doesn't matter how I live. It really doesn't matter before God how I live. All my sin has been taken care of, and therefore I just run headlong and live any way I want. And what is really happening is not the Christian life. What is really happening is that the old life is just lived out in a new way. It is self-love rather than a God-honoring love. Why? Because a God-honoring love is a Christ-like love, and that is what we have been freed to. We have been freed from self-love to a Christ-honoring love. Notice, secondly, notice, secondly, our purpose in being free. Our purpose in being free. He says it here at the end of verse 13, but through love serve one another. Oh, we have to recognize our calling. You were called to freedom. That's, that's what God did for you through justifying you. He freed you from self-love, but don't allow... Uh, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Don't allow yourself to be, to, be, to be convinced in such a way that you say, because I'm justified, I live any way I want, but through love, serve one another. This is our purpose in being freed. Notice that either way we live whether you live for self-love or whether you live for love and service to one another, it is a volitional choice that you are making. In other words, it doesn't just happen to you. That is simply to say that how we live has nothing to do with anything around us and everything to do with our choice. As Christians, the way in which we live has nothing to do with the circumstances around us. It has everything to do with our decision to do what God says. We have been freed from self-loving life 
And therefore, we live for either self as a choice, or we live through love to serve one another as a choice. Now, there's something that we must realize. The flesh, the flesh, and we need to get blunt here, this is our old self-serving self, the flesh is the sworn enemy of every relationship within our sphere of life. Let me say that again. The flesh, which is the old self-serving me, is the sworn enemy of every relationship that I have within my life. And the self-centered passions and the self-centered desires are what wreak havoc upon each and every one of those relationships when the self-serving one begins to act and begins to live. And so Paul says here, notice, don't give, don't give, don't let your freedom be used as a beachhead, as a, as a launching point, as the, the ground on which the war starts. Don't let that be the place where, where the operation for your self-love is set up. Don't let your freedom in Christ, what God has freed you from, become the beachhead, become the place in which your self-love becomes the, the operation. Don't let your freedom become an opportunity for the flesh to use it as its own sinful, self-serving Ground of operation. That's what Paul's saying. So, in what ways then, when when Paul says, listen, you've been freed in Christ in justification, freed from self-service, freed from serving yourself to try to do anything to gain righteousness, and therefore the old self has been crucified with Christ, as he says in 1 Corinthians. Don't let that freedom, that that release and euphoria of knowing you're free, you're not guilty before God, become this place in which self-service becomes the operational head for which it is the way you live. Don't let that happen. Rather, through love, serve one another. So in what ways does that happen with us as Christians? In what ways does our self-service come out and be used as a beachhead, if you will, for your own self-serving ways. Well, here, let me just give you a few reminders of this. Let me give you a few things that I was reminded of myself recently as I was reading through this. First of all, let's just lay out a few points. You can write them down if you want. We give the flesh opportunity to use our freedom in Christ when we decide to coddle someone's sinfulness and not address it as it ought to be addressed by truth. When we coddle someone and not speak truth in love or we harbor a grudge towards another person who has sinned against us. When we do that, we are allowing our freedom in Christ to be used as an opportunity. The flesh uses it as an opportunity to serve self. If I won't take 
sin issues to heart and, and deal with them and help a brother and sister in Christ deal with them, if I coddle that, then I am allowing my flesh to win. The self-service, it's about me then. It's about what I'm going to get. It's about my comfortability. It's about my way. Or when I hold a grudge towards somebody else who has come maybe against me, maybe they've rightly sinned against me, maybe it's wrong that I've even thought they've sinned against me, but when I hold a grudge, I'm serving me. My flesh has an opportunity. We give our flesh an opportunity to use our freedom in Christ when we refuse to overlook minor offenses that others commit against us. We refuse to overlook those things. Redeemed people, listen, as redeemed people, we are going to irritate one another, aren't we? I mean, some of us probably irritated one another when we walked into the buildings tonight, just in some small, minor way. Proverbs 19.11 says that it is wisdom to overlook an offense. We've been studying a men's group. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So when we realize who God is and what God has overlooked in us, we can overlook others. But the flesh doesn't want to do that. The flesh is proud. And so the flesh is easily offended by the smallest of things. And so when I become easily offended by the smallest of things, you can rest assured that you ought to know how to diagnose your own heart and you need to say, listen, my flesh is winning in the moment and it doesn't need to win. I need to, through love, serve someone else. Here's another way we give the flesh opportunity. We give it an opportunity when we think or assume the worst of people and their actions without knowing the full reality of those people or their actions. We assume the worst of them. It's about us. It's about our opinions. It's about what we want to know. 1 Corinthians 13 clearly says that love believes all things. That, does, that doesn't mean that love believes when a lie is a lie, that it's true. That's not what he's saying. What that is saying is love always assumes the best of others. Well, we let our flesh have the opportunity to be used when we think and assume the worst of others when we have no reason to think that. Fourth way, fourth way that we give flesh an opportunity is when, based upon those assumptions, or not the assumptions, based upon all of that, we speak about those people in a disparaging way. Anytime you make assumptions that you have no idea about and you start to talk about someone in a disparaging way in which they are, or you sit in on a conversation that has gone in that direction, even though you haven't said anything, what you are doing is letting your flesh have an opportunity. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another. You are not loving, you're not serving someone else through love. You're serving yourself. And so you're giving the flesh an opportunity. You're allowing it to establish its beachhead right there. Here's a fifth way to give the flesh opportunity. When we fail to deal with our personal difficulties with other people quickly and directly. 
when we fail to deal with personal issues between other in relationship quickly and directly. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. When we're slow to deal with personal grievances, we are not only giving into the flesh, but we are giving the devil opportunity to infiltrate and to gain victory. Those are just a few examples. Surely in your own heart you know some yourself, but there are endless ways that we indulge the flesh, that we indulge the the self-love monster. Because we are free in Christ, we are not to give the flesh a beachhead of operation. Our purpose is completely opposite than that. Our purpose is to, through love, serve one another. We know the word for love. We know it, even in the original language, agape. Love equals self-sacrifice. That's what it means. Serve is the word for slave, for slave, be a doulos, be a, a servant, be a slave of another. What kind of slave? Be a self-sacrificing slave. In other words, your freedom has freed you up to the law in order that you might obey what God has said. You are free to be a self-sacrificing slave of other people through your freedom in Christ. Now here's the irony in all of that. Paul says that by serving each other through love, think about what the Galatians are hearing. They're hearing that if you do these things, particularly if you get circumcised, you are fulfilling the law, you are following the law of God, you are justified. And the Apostle Paul is saying if you serve each other through love, you are actually fulfilling the whole law. In other words, this is our reason for being free. This is our reason for being free. We love others sacrificially. So Paul says, first, remember your calling. Second, remember your purpose. And third, remember your reason. This is the reason. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. The statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is an amazing thing for Paul to say. This is an amazing thing for Paul to say. This is where people go off the rails when they flip-flop sanctification and justification or they disregard sanctification altogether and say, because I'm justified, I can live whichever way I want. This is the motivating truth for us to hear. The Galatian believers were all worried about their standing before God all worried in their own heart as it related to the law of God. I don't know if I'm right with God. This is why they're considering circumcision. This is why even though after faith in Jesus Christ, the Judaizers come in, that they're all concerned about, okay, I can believe in Jesus, but I need more. They wanted to ensure in their own selfish minds, by their own effort, that they're doing God's will. And the Judaizers are convincing them and telling them that it's... that 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 their assurance is going to be found in doing the law. 
And Paul says, listen, that is fleshly thinking. That is fleshly thinking. That actually is self-service. You want to think about justification by yourself through the law? That is serving self. That is self-service. That is following the desires of the flesh. The best way to keep the flesh from having opportunity to lead you astray is to do the exact opposite. What is that? Rather than giving into the desires and passions of your flesh in order to protect and promote yourself, rather than do that through love, serve one another. Why? Because love fulfills the whole law. That doesn't mean that you're earning justification by loving others. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, you're, he, he doesn't mean you're, you're going to earn your own justification if you love like the way I'm telling you because that fulfills the whole law by means of some kind of justifying factor. No, he's saying it means that you are exercising sanctification because you are justified. You are living in a sanctified way in light of the reality that you are justified before God. You want to rid yourself from self-love? You want to rid yourself from the beachhead desire of the flesh that keeps pushing and wanting it? Here's how you rid yourself from that. Serve others. Serve others. Starve your flesh of self-love by self-sacrificial slavery to others. People say, well, okay, I know I'm doing this and I shouldn't do this, so I'll just stop doing that. But they never do the other, right? God says, no, you you don't want to do that. You don't want to just stop serving yourself. The way to starve yourself from self service is to push yourself to actively go in the direction of Love to serve others. So serve one another sacrificially. Pour yourself into serving other people. You do that, you'll starve the flesh. You'll starve the desire to serve yourself. How do we serve one another in that way? Well, we talked about it tonight already. One way is to pray. Pray for one another. Right? To pray for others. You have to think of others. You're going to pray for other people? You've got to think of other people. You can't just think about yourself. You have to think of others. Part of the reason why we ought to be a praying church. We ought to be a praying church because it helps us divest ourselves of self-service. We ought to be a praying church in general, and we ought to be people who pray in particular. I would start with those you may have the most difficulty in your heart with. You want to pray and starve the flesh? Then start praying for those people that you have the most difficulty with in your own relationships. Pray for them. And don't pray that God would fix them. Boy, God, I wish you would really fix them right now. I wish you'd hurry up and fix them so that we could have a relationship. No, pray for your heart in that relationship with them. Pray that God would change you in that relationship. Second way we do that is to serve one another when we're patient with one another. You want to serve one another and starve your flesh of self-service, then be patient with each other. 
what Paul said in Ephesians 4, bear with one another in love. I love that. Bear with one another. Carry the burdens of one another, all the foibles, all the struggles, all the difficulties. You do that through sacrificial love. That means there's going to be times when we have to overlook the offense. There's going to be times when we are not going to allow that issue to to be considered and continue as a sin. We're going to deal with it. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 said, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. So we pray for one another. We are patient with one another. Third, we serve each other when we speak words that are encouraging to one another. We lovingly serve one another when we speak encouraging words. Speaking words that build up rather than words that tear down. In fact, Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, Let no unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth. Only speak those things which are good, edifying for the need of the moment and those who hear. So pray, be patient, speak edifying things. Fourth thing, fourth way we serve each other. These are just examples when we, through love, consider others more significant than we ourselves. We consider others more significant. Isn't this exactly what the Apostle Paul said to the believers in Philippi? This is what he said. He used the example of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. If there's any encouragement in Christ there's any consolation of love, there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What's that purpose? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Considering others, more importantly than ourselves, is a service to one another through love. Paul says to the Galatian believers, listen, we serve one another through love. That's how it's done. That's a big task. It's a big task. We all realize that. And the moment we start to interact with one another, we realize it even more. It's really hard. It's difficult, even in our hearts, and especially in our hearts. It's not easy. Why? Because that kind of love points away from us to others. Therefore, we love, as 1 John 4, 8 said, we can't love in that way until we understand and realize that we love because He first loved us, right? We love that way because we understand what God has loved us in. We love because we are justified through Christ. It's the only way to love. If you think you're going to earn your salvation by your own efforts, you're not going to love anybody. You're not going to love anybody. You're going to do for others exactly what you think you need to do in order that you might maintain your own righteousness in the eyes of others. But you won't sacrifice yourself for others. You'll never do that. 
Because you don't gain anything spiritually. You don't gain anything justifyingly when you do that. You don't gain anything before God. And yet here the Apostle Paul says, listen, when you're justified in Christ, you're freed from serving yourself. Now you can just pour on the self-service because that fulfills the whole law. No more a servant than Jesus Christ. No more a servant than Christ. Right? We get the example of what he did in Philippians chapter 2. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be held to, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant. Same word, doulos, a slave. A willing slave, a willing servant of others, being made in the likeness of men. And he even went to the cross. Became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Paul's trying to say to the believers in Galatia. This is the mind you're to have. You're to live with one another in light of the work of Christ, that what Christ has accomplished for you, He has set you free. You're to treat others in light of that with the grace and mercy that Christ has granted to you. So He says you're to love one another with the love of God pulsating through your very veins. When we love as Christ, when we love as Christ, we are fulfilling the whole law of God not to be saved. We are fulfilling the law of God because we are saved. We're not gaining righteousness. We are reflecting righteousness. Not easy. Not easy to do. But possible to do. Yet not easy to do. That's why Paul says in verse 15, but, strong contrast, but, you bite and devour one another, watch out, lest you be consumed by one another. We'll get to that next time. Love, love, Serve one another through love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just this really quick look, this surface look really at the depth and the weightiness of the reality of being freed in Christ so that we might be free to Christ. Serving Him and Him only as we serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we serve even those that don't know Christ by giving them the gospel, sharing the truth with them, and challenging sin where it is, and checking our heart before You so that we are not harboring bitterness and assuming things wrongly, always thinking of others as we should not. Help us, Lord, to put these things into practice in our very actions, in our very deeds, how we think, words, knowing that as we love, it is the great reflection of You. To love one another in that way reflects the reality that we do love You with our heart, soul, mind, strength.
May this be the product of our life through the power of the Spirit because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.